Hello, listeners. This is your host, Tessa Dare, speaking. Just popping in to let you know that this week's episode is a two-parter, and you are now listening to part one. Part two is coming in two weeks. Hope you join us then. Welcome to Woman Inherits the Earth, a mother-daughter podcast about the representation of women in movies and television. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Karans and Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I am Beth Von Baron, Tessa's mother and also a writer. We love talking about movies that feature interesting and realistic women characters in leading roles or where the story's focus is on women of women's issues. A few disclaimers. There will be spoilers and colorful language. If our content includes discussion of violence in any way, we will note it here. And on that note, a content warning for today's episode. The film we are discussing today revolves heavily around themes of sexual assault and rape. If you are in any way sensitive to those discussions, you probably want to skip this episode. For clarity's sake, we are probably going to say the words rape and rapist quite a lot in this one. We had planned to start the season by looking at movies nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars in 2023. However, our first discussion two weeks ago centered around a movie, The Woman King, that should have been nominated but wasn't. We didn't discover our mistake until we were finished recording. Going forward, we will talk about Oscar nominations but won't limit ourselves to films that were nominated for Best Picture. This week, we are discussing Women Talking, which was released in 2022 and was nominated for both Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay in 2023. It won the Screenplay Award. The movie runs 144 minutes. It was directed by Sarah Polly, who also wrote the screenplay based on the book by Miriam Toes, and I may not be pronouncing that correctly, T-O-E-W-E-S. Any idea how it's pronounced? I'm not sure. Okay, so it was produced by Frances McDormand, who is, I think I can fairly say, is one of Sarah's and my favorite actresses. Executive producers were Brad Pitt, Lynn Lucibello Brancatella, and you could probably repronounce that for me, and Emily Jade Foley. Again, it's a, a list of women who are at the forefront of making this movie. I, uh, I'm not sure what Lynn Luciabello Brancatella's nationality is. If she's Italian, then it would be Luciabello, but I don't I don't know for sure. Yeah, could, could be Spanish. But you know what? I bet it is Spanish because the original uh, setting for the book is Colombia. It's um, Bolivia. It was Bolivia. 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 Well, actually, okay. that's not the setting of the book. So we'll we'll talk about not that not the setting in a of the book, um, but it, yeah. it is the original. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, we'll. I, I do want to do the summary, but maybe before we get into that, we can talk a little bit about the origin of this story. So this film, women talking was inspired by real events, but most of the actual events in the, depicted in the film are fictional. There was a real incident in a Mennonite community in Bolivia in an area called Manitoba County. The original event happened between 2005 and 2009, uh, but was discovered in 2009. And I guess here is where I will put in my, my second content warning. We, we are seriously going to be saying rape quite a lot and the sexual assaults that occurred both in the real event and in the film include sexual assaults of very young children uh yeah this i'm guessing this is probably going to be our most intense episode of the podcast yeah so seriously if you do not want to hear about really terrible things turn it off now because i'm about to talk about the real life event and the real life event was also really terrible and and I, I would add to that that it's not just rape, but it's a torturous situation in which these women are living that it may also be really difficult for women to listen to. So the real life event was centered on a Mennonite community or, or happened in a Mennonite community uh, that was really insular and isolated. Uh, and although it took place in Bolivia, none of the people involved actually speak or spoke Bolivian Spanish. Uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. They speak something called Plautdeutsch, hmm. which is uh, Mennonite Low German. So I'm not I'm not sure if they were originally a German Im- immigrant community, but one way or another, they don't speak the primary language of the country that they're in. Oh, and and the women of the community, from what we understand, 
are not taught how to read or write and have a very limited ability, really no ability to communicate with the outside world. So the original women uh, who survived this event really have no ability to actually uh, express their own stories or say what happened to the outside world. So we don't really know anything about how they feel about it. All we know are kind of the, the basic facts of the case, which is that these assaults and rapes occurred between 2005 and 2009. Uh, eventually, two of the perpetrators were caught and implicated seven others, and uh, all nine of those men were taken over to be prosecuted. Eight of the men were given really long prison sentences. The shortest prison sentence that I saw was 12 years. Others were convicted to 25 years. One of the men convicted, or at least one of the men charged, I'm not sure if he was around long enough to be convicted, escaped, and we don't know where he is. But yeah, apart from that, we, we know that the rapes took place, and we know that eight of the perpetrators were imprisoned for them. Apart from that, we, we don't really know anything about it. So the rest of our discussion today is really just going to be about the movie, which is pretty much fictional. The, the, the inspiration, according to the original author of the book, is basically it's a fictional reaction to a real life event. Uh, she said that she was partly inspired by, uh, yeah, she, she, she describes her novel as an imagined response to real events. And I, I believe there's some, and we, we see this a little bit in the opening voiceover, there's sort of this idea of this is a, a fictional female response to a, a real event that happened. And it's sort of playing on the fact that a lot of these women, from from what we know, even in the real life case, that they were told that it was not real, or, or that it was uh, that the the original case was referred to as the ghost rapes of Bolivia for a while, uh, and for a while it was believed that the culprits were perhaps supernatural in, in origin until the actual men and that comes were up, and that's in the that's in the movie. They talk about yeah. that a lot in the movie. So what what um the, it so this what we're talking about is a movie, a fictional story. We're not even going to call it a Mennonite colony because they don't call themselves that in the movie. But I understand it is a Mennonite community in the book. So yeah, so this is a fictional story of a response yeah. to a situation that was inspired by that story. And that's important to point out because of what happens in the movie. So you want to do the summary? Yes. Uh, so yeah, the summary of the movie. In a religious similar to a Mennonite colony, women and girls have been attacked and raped by multiple members of their community. The men who did this used a cow tranquilizer to subdue the women who then couldn't fight back and were hindered in reporting the assaults uh, because the drugs made the memories hazy. When they did report them, they were told that the perpetrators were ghosts or that they were imagining the assaults. Then one day, two young girls caught one of the rapists in the act, and he was jailed in a barn where he gave up the names of the other assailants. After one of the assaulted women attacked the jailed men with a scythe, the colony elders decided to move the assailants to the city jail for their own protection. A short time after that, almost all of the men in the colony left to post bail for the men. The elders then give the women two days to forgive the men and essentially get over it. Any woman who refuses to forgive them will be exiled. Once the men have left, the women take a vote with three choices available. Do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. The vote results in a tie between stay and fight and leave. So the women from three families, all generations, girls, mothers, grandmothers, are chosen to debate between the two tied options and decide what they will do. This is the women talking part of the movie. The discussion is all over the place. They don't want to leave. Some want to forgive. Others want to stay and fight. One mother says she would kill and spend eternity in hell to protect her child. There is slowly a progressive evolution in their discussion and their thinking. And in the end, they decide to leave because they realize it is the only way they can ever come to a place where they can forgive and their faith and pacifist beliefs require forgiveness. But their future is uncertain and the path will be dangerous. That's that's it. And I would almost say in the, the three choices that they're given, the do nothing choice 
is really to forgive the men. They don't say that here, but yes. that's what it, they talk about later on that it becomes. And as I uh, was thinking, as you were talking and I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, this is another movie that could have been titled Decision to Leave. Yeah. But that, but then that would give, give the ending away. And that is a movie, Decision to Leave, that we're going to be talking about in the next month or so. Yeah. But, um, but that's what I wrote down. It, this is another Decision to Leave. It's a very... And it's a very difficult one. This movie was made. Oh, go ahead. Do you have something else? I mean, I have like a personal note, which is sort of my my final content warning. That's basically, if you loved this movie, you might not want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, I am probably going to be critiquing it pretty harshly. The one good thing that I want to make sure I say up front is that I could see this movie being very meaningful and cathartic to someone who has experienced sexual assault or any kind of abuse. Uh, it is trying to give survivors a voice, and survivors deserve a voice. So I want to be clear that none of my criticisms are intended to take away from that voice. If this movie spoke for you in any way, that is wonderful, and I hope my criticisms do not in any way diminish that. Yeah, I think that's a great comment to make. And I did not like this movie either, so for different reasons. I just think it's it's got mixed messages in it. So mm-hmm. I, I'm also going to be very uh, critical of it. It's also just a really difficult story story to bear to bear witness to and to 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 think in the back of my mind well this is this is based on a true story it's just it's harsh it's It's very hard but anyway let's get back into the introduction so this is made by orion pictures it stars rooney mara mara i think it's mara okay rooney mara claire foy one of my favorite uh young actresses she played elizabeth in the uh netflix uh, the Crown series, and she was superb when they switched to the next generation of actresses, you know, older actresses playing Elizabeth. I lost interest. She was the in- she was just so amazing. Judith Ivy, who is another one of my favorite actresses, doesn't show up on a lot of stuff. She's more of a character actress. She's got a lot of uh, credits. The one thing that you might remember her in is Designing Women. She was in that all all of the seasons. I don't remember what role she was, but it was a recurring role. Mm. It wasn't a star it wasn't a starring role, but it was a recurring role. These other actresses I don't really know. Jesse Buckley, Sheila McCarthy. I do know I do know Jesse Buckley and I mostly want to talk about it because first of all, I I do think it is a little bit of a funny casting decision to choose both Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley. Oh my god. So incredible. So similar. much alike. <laughs> and yet their characters are like almost opposites. But it made it it made for very confusing watching and I think it the was only really hard was, to get them straight. Yeah, the only way that I was able to deal with it was because I do recognize Jesse Buckley. Jesse Buckley is the main actress from the film Men, which I don't know if we want to cover it, but Men feels almost like the other side of this movie in some ways. But so yeah, very interesting to me that Jesse Buckley has uh, kind of made her career being in these like intense, hyper gender uh relations <laughs> movies hmm. uh, but yeah that that's i think out of the uh, apart from the ones that you mentioned um she's the only one that i'm really uh, well and with. and and she and claire foy are both very play, portray both very intense characters in this yeah. in this film you know probably the two most intense of the women who are the primary focus mm-hmm. and they look a lot alike and there's somewhat similar in in their attitudes about leaving and yet for very different reasons neither one of them wants to leave for very different reasons yeah their their attitude is different or their their uh ideas are like opposite but then their way of interacting with everyone is the same because they're both kind of angry all the time angry angry and combative and they have good reason to be so um the other actresses let's see michelle mcleod don't know her kate hallett Liv mcneil and two uh two men august winter who was very good ben wishaw i'm not sure what who he played oh maybe ben Ben wishaw played august Oh, that's his character's name. Oh, yeah. Why did I type that in there? Okay. So August Ben Wishaw played August. Okay. Yeah. See, good catch. Um, Frances McDormand. And she has such a limited role in this film. It's kind of a shame <laughs> because she's such an extraordinary actress and you don't like her. You don't like her, her character. McDormand doesn't hesitate to take on roles where you're not going to like her. So that, yeah. That's not a problem for me. But she is the, well... She's the one character who stays behind. She's the yeah. one woman who does yeah. not leave in the end. So she, and she's only in the, the beginning, the, the very beginning scene, the first couple scenes, and at the very end of the movie, she's not yeah. in any of the discussions, which is a shame, and yet you understand why. She's such a decisive voice, or a, not decisive voice, but such a dividing, you know, divisive voice is what I was yeah. looking for. 
that she would have bogged down the discussion, which is already pretty bogged down. So yeah, yeah. Um, so let's move on to discussion of the movie. It first of all, it features an, a kind of an omniscient narrator. <laughs> I guess you'd say she's an omniscient, speaking to and telling the story to a child who has not yet been born. Yeah. Who we have we eventually come to realize or understand is the child that Ona is carrying that she's pregnant with. Yes. Who is also the result of her rape. Yeah. She was she was a virgin when she was raped. She's not married. She's very young. At least they portray her as being very young. Rooney Mira is not that young, but uh, she's she's played by Rooney Mira Mara. Anyway, and so the quote the movie starts with this story ends before you were born. So the the movie kind of positions the audience as this baby essentially. Mm-hmm. And the narration continues throughout yeah. the movie. She it pops back in every once in a while, and it's kind of. It's a lyrical, uh, haunting narration, and and quite beautiful. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you'll you'll hear the narration over really ugly scenes. There, yeah. you know, or really beautiful uh, bucolic scenes. So it's kind yeah. of there's a lot of that kind of disjointedness in 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 the film. Yeah, and the opening narration, uh, it, it kind of serves the purpose of really kind of grounding you in what exactly has been happening to these women and what they're grappling with. It's a, a lot about the things that you might feel as a survivor of repeated sexual assaults. Um, one of the lines in the opening narration is, it felt like a banishment, as though we had no invitation mm-hmm. anymore to be a part of the real. There's, there's, then that speaks to the gaslighting that's going on here. Yes. So, or the attempt at, at gaslighting. Which, yeah, and it's pretty successful, it's, actually. It's, it's almost, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's about the gaslighting, but I think it is also about, you know, the almost like internal gaslighting. Because not only have they been gaslit and told that their memories aren't real, but also essentially these men have taken their bodies from them. You know, they've mm-hmm. knocked them unconscious so they couldn't do anything about it and then used their bodies as they, the men, saw fit. And these women's consent was just completely removed from the equation. These men were literally coming in the night, drugging them and raping them and then telling them that it never happened. I think the narrator is Acha, right? A-U-T-J-E. Yeah. And that is Kate Hallett. And she does an amazing job. She does an incredible job. I'm not sure how young the actress is, but she looks pretty young. She's pretty young. I would say 15 or so. Yeah. But she doesn't even have a, she doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. So um, she's very young. I would say about 15. She's got a childlike lilt to her voice. It's it's very, very good actress because it's haunting and poetic. Her narration is also the the thing that tells us that almost all of the men of the colony went to go and post bail for the attackers. That's one of the first things that we learn, which kind of tells you that like, okay, the attacks were only done by eight men, but all of the men have banded together to protect these attackers and to tell the women to get over it the only man who hasn't is also essentially the only man in the movie august remains behind it's a little bit unclear i think it's sort of implied that he's not on board with posting the bail but it's not clear that that's why he stayed behind um it does seem the the women do did ask him to come and take notes for them because none of them can read or write and he can uh, and he is a bit of an outcast in the colony his family was uh, literally kicked out of the colony when he was younger and he came back as an adult after his mother's death so he's a he's a little bit of an outsider he's a little bit like marked as different from the rest of the men yeah i actually have on my notes here we need to talk a little bit about august so why don't we yeah. get that out of here out of the way why no, is he about in here august. Yeah. Let's talk about August because it's a movie about women. So let's talk about the one man who's in here. Um, why is he in here? What purpose does he serve to the filmmaker's message is the question that I'm asking. Is he a good guy? Is he part of the problem? Does he grow during the film? And I think he does. But why does there always have to be a man in a movie about women that we are forced to care care about? That's another big question for me. Yeah. And and he makes a comment. He tries to nudge them along at one point later, about mm-hmm. midway through the film, in their process because they're running out of time. He's right. But Mary Kay says that he he doesn't you know this is not his fight he doesn't he yeah. doesn't she gets get to mad. have a say yeah. she's pretty mad about it and she's right but he's also right that they they are restricted in time and they they all have two days to get this done uh, and the, and the dis- discussion continues August brings an ed- brings a contrast to their situation too because he is he is educated he's the teacher in the community he teaches mm-hmm. the students and he is not just 
he can't, it's not just that he can read and write. He knows about, you know, nav- what is it called? Stellar, not stellar. Oh. Celestial navigation. Yeah. He knows about um, history. He, he knows about, he, you know, he, he, he knows about a lot of stuff. He's had a really good education. Yeah. He knows about the world outside that they have no clue about. Yeah. They don't eat, they don't know anything. All they know is what the men, the elders, have told them to know. Yeah. That's all they know. They don't, they can't read or write. They can't do math. Um, they are very limited, as you, as you pointed out in the introduction, in how they approach life. And yet, and here's one of my problems with this film, the dialogue that they have is so sophisticated and so so incredibly expressive. You would think every one of them had a fucking PhD. Yeah. And I, I, I'm yeah. just, I, how do you, I don't know how the filmmakers reconcile that. I mean, it's interesting so, because I, I feel like that's probably why it won the screenplay award. I feel like a lot yeah. of times the, the thing that wins the screenplay award, the movie that wins the screenplay award is the one that has, that is just like pure dialogue and has the most mm-hmm. like, I'm not sure what the word I want is, but the most sort of highbrow language, you know, that I feel like. And it does. Often, it's very highbrow. Yeah. And it's not just the language, but the, but the concepts that they understand yeah. within their limited world are pretty extraordinary. And these are very smart women, and which begs the other question: How do women who have this, who who despite not being educated, and have this amazing uh, understanding of the world, and you you see that understanding in their discussion, how do they? How have they justified up until now? staying in this situation so there, there are a lot yeah. of, i mean and i realize this is a fictional response to a situation that happened but these are my few of my problems with the film yeah so. yeah i mean i don't know how deep we want to get into my criticisms I, at the we, moment we don't have the time yeah i do but, want to say yeah. so august apparently in the book is the narrator so i think part of his point oh. in the book is that he's the one who can write so he's the one who wrote the story essentially yeah, yeah. um and in the movie that works they do have him, they not only have him stay behind when they all choose to leave at the end, but they also have him keep the notes that he took. Uh, and it, it's unclear if it's so that he can show, I mean, they, they want him to stay behind so he can teach the boys who remain. I, I think maybe that is also a part of leaving him the notes so that if the boys, if, if he manages to mold the next generation of boys who have remained behind into something a little bit better maybe they can eventually look at what happened and be able to see it with clearer eyes than the men who are frankly complicit in the rapes Mm -hmm. Uh, and i do want to say you know we said at the front we're spoiling this movie i'm hard spoiling it right now they do decide to leave uh and they take all of the boys who are under 15 15 uh, up to ultimately 15, yeah. the decision so yeah well there's also point at the beginning of the movie uh, they put the the votes up on the wall and mm-hmm. somebody starts to take them down and, and they say no you have to leave that up it's a written record yeah. they, they call it something else but this is the history so he's he's kind of the archivist here he's the historian he's he's keeping this for history i'm also thinking you know just the back of my mind because i have that kind of a brain is this is this is proof they can use in the trial if they mm, get to a yeah, trial with yeah. these men. But also, it's the history of their of the women's community, the yeah. women in this community. This is their history, and he's going to be the preserver of that history. Yeah. And I do think it's he 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 promises. He says, "I will do the best I can." In fact, they are at first they're going to only have uh, boys twelve and under. Yeah. go go with them because 12 to 15 is a volatile age for young boys and the women make the point but you know some of them make the point that yeah but they're still able to, to, to rape they're strong and then others make the point yeah but they're still malleable they can still yeah. be turned it's actually august and, who makes both and of those no points. one of them makes one of the women says that and he takes off and has yeah. a whole speech about it and it's one of the best speeches in the film yeah. and, and he talks about how yes they are they are adult-like in many ways you know they're 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 budding sexuality they're strong they have you know all these all these uh emotion raw emotions they don't know what to do with and yet they're still children yeah and and he really it's a beautiful piece of dialogue i mean it's one of the best speeches so and he's at the end of that you can see he the wheels are turning in his head while he's going through that he realizes they these boys need to go with them with the women and then he needs to focus on the boys that are left behind yeah i i have mixed feelings about august's character uh Mm. i do think you know the actor does a great all of the actors in this movie are really good Mm -hmm. yeah that kind of goes without saying fantastic performances from 
all of them. The other part of August's character is that he's in love with Ona, the woman mm-hmm. who is pregnant by one of the rapists. And ha- has, been, has been his entire life. They yes. grew up together. Yeah. Um. So there's kind of this sad undercurrent of their sort of not exactly doomed love it's never totally clear exactly how ona feels for him it seems like she does not fully return the way that he feels or at the very least he would readily marry her and she would not and she does have a quote about that where she says yeah if i were married i wouldn't be myself so the person you love would be gone there's also a bit at the end when they're leaving and he is staying behind where he calls out to her and says, I will always love you. And she doesn't respond, but her mother does. And her mother says, she loves you. She loves everyone. Ona is the one character in this movie I just don't like. And, you know, yeah. she's the one we're supposed to like. Yeah, she's the one we're supposed to like the most. So I think the reason they it would be problematic for them to get married is that she's pregnant. She is, in their community, a ruined woman woman Mm -hmm. he doesn't care about that but it has given her an awakening of sorts that she really you know she's the philosopher i actually describe her i've got uh notes here about the characters she's the spiritual visionary she's also confused she tells august she can't marry him because she wouldn't be herself but this is contradictory because he is offering her a way to keep her child and stay in the community and because if she were to have this child they stayed they did not leave uh and she has this child they will take it away from her yeah because a single woman is not allowed she's ruined she this is her fault she's she's pregnant with a child she's not married and they don't care the men don't care yeah there's every chance that they would return the child to the rapist's family rapist family yeah and and they might even exile her anyway because it's just not anyway probably not because other women and we'll get to that in a little bit but at least one other woman has had a child as a result of rape and it did not have a good ending so uh but anyway he's offering her a way to keep her child but she is this hippy dippy i'm i'm not kidding about that she's this hippy dippy woman who's oh i can't be myself yeah she's got this like moony look on her face for half of the movie and it's oh my god off-putting to me (laughs) she she's she says something at the end and i hate to get to, to skip ahead but she says something like about love where is it i know i wrote it down and i wrote in big letters bullshit (laughs) she has a lot of the like more aimless philosophizing of the movie it's just ridiculous she says why does love the absence of love the end of love the need for love result in so much violence i'm sorry honey it doesn't this is bullshit (laughs) and she's just like this flippy floppy hippy dip dippy chip and i i just i don't like her and she takes it she she both she does two things she both takes them off focus too often but then a couple times actually brings them back into focus she's uh what do you call it she makes things happen in the story so she's like it's like they put her into the story just so they could get them from one point to another she's that you know that kind of but maddening she's maddening (laughs) yeah she she's she's kind of the one who represents the argument to leave she's kind of the first one who states outright that she wants to leave uh she's also the one who eventually puts forward the argument that the only way they can actually forgive the men is to leave because mm-hmm. she she's basically states like if she's if they stay and they have to continue to deal with the men who did this to them there's no way for them to get space from their anger and pain so mm-hmm. the only way that and, and that's ultimately the winning argument for them yeah and um, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of our discussion because yeah. it's a really interesting argument and i think it, it, it deserves at least 10 to 15 minutes of our yeah. time but when she says it she says it and then she kind of goes back on it later yeah, on. Yeah, she, she, she goes she back, and, back forth. and forth. Yeah. You know. She, she's, she's also the one who, who says, I wouldn't call the future of our relationship with the boys and men we love a, a last minute concern. Because uh, someone brings up like that they have to d- decide if they're okay with living without their brothers and potentially their sons. Uh, and then someone else says, we can't get caught up in these last minute concerns. And then Ona says, I wouldn't call the future of our relationships with the boys and men we love last minute concerns which like i get but at this point i was just so frustrated with all of them and this whole conversation i was like how can you love someone who doesn't see you as a human being i don't think they ever express any of them any remorse about leaving their husbands it's their sons and if you 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 haven't had and their brothers yes yes, yeah yeah, absolutely because those are the those are the people they grew up with and knew as children so your brothers and your children they don't 
they don't really give a fuck about their husbands. They don't yeah. they don't talk about them. Because these are probably all arranged marriages anyway, but their children, yeah. how do you leave your child? And you know, this is brings as I was watching this, I'm you know, brought to mind all these all these you know, whenever parents have children who end up being, you know, psychopaths or sociopaths mm-hmm. and, and do things that are just, you know, beyond the pale and this is a child they raised, they gave birth to, they raised and then they can't rec they can't reconcile who this person has become. And that's kind of, you know, that's the potential well, for some of the boys, because I think we're, to be, we're led to believe that some of the rapists were very young. So yeah. uh, so some of the boys has already happened to. The potential for the other boys to, to go in that direction is pretty big. Yeah. And that's another issue is how do we leave our 12 to 15-year-old boys here and let them become these people? We can't yeah. do that. We don't. We owe them but more the, they, than that. But they ultimately don't. And I don't know. The, the thing is, like, that, yeah. that part of the discussion is a little bit separated from the part where they finally decide to bring everyone who's under 15. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're only talking about leaving... If, if they're talking about leaving their sons, they're talking about leaving their adult sons. Yes. Which was only the two older women. And I think yeah. one of them, only one of them... I don't know that, that don't, the two older women, they don't talk about They don't talk are. about it. Yeah. So which, yeah. which is part of my issue with this scene. Like, it's so theoretical. They're just talking theoretically about their relationships with their brothers and sons. sons. Yes. And like, a, the, the only time that we actually talk about, uh, I think it's Salome's relationship with her son, Aaron, who she ends up drugging to, to bring with them because he doesn't want to go. He's one of the older boys, but still under uh, 15. Uh, mm-hmm. Apart from that, it's not very concrete. It's just sort of, and I think I think that was intentional. I think the movie is trying to say, how can you give up men? Like, how can yeah. you give up the men in the community that you love? And I'm just like, I don't love these men. I don't think <laughs> I don't the movie is saying men. that. I don't think the movie is saying that. I think it's one of the questions that they expect people watching the movie but to ask. Think- how do you give up these men? I think we're, yeah, but like we're supposed to be truly torn over it, but it's so theoretical that I yeah. just don't. I'm never I, torn over it. Yeah, I, I, don't, torn, I, don't, I wasn't torn no, over it. No, I wasn't. I mean, this is like, I, I think I think we're at the point where I can't like avoid my criticisms of the movie anymore. I had a really hard time identifying with anyone and identifying with the question. And part of it is that these women sound so well-spoken and well thought out and they're given this opportunity all of the men except for august have left so they can very easily physically pack up their stuff and go the abusers are gone they have given them this opportunity and they're all really well reasoned and they they understand the situation they're in and they understand what has happened and we're gonna have to talk a little bit about the worst parts of what's happened they reveal eventually in the movie that salome the one who attacked the men with a scythe her four-year-old daughter has contracted a venereal disease because she was also a victim of the rapes so at this point we are talking about men is that what it is i didn't get that from it at all that's that's what it is how did you get that i didn't see what you Uh, so where did that come up there were two moments there's a part about 23 minutes in where they uh show salome putting uh, i think the, the girl's name is meep um, putting Meep on her back and walking for a day and a half to get her antibiotics. For antibiotics, but it doesn't say it's venereal disease. Then later on, Salome is the one who screams at them, how can I forgive? Uh, I, I don't remember her whole her her whole thing, but there's a moment where she screams at all of them, how do you expect me to just live with the men who raped a four-year-old? Like she's, she's Ah, I missed that piece of dialogue because yeah. here's my, my take on that. I thought she was forced to walk... Two two days to get uh, antibiotics for her daughter because her f- my impression was that the husband did not care enough to use their buggy to take them to the clinic so she mm. had to walk there there see there's a lot of stuff going on in this, and I think you're absolutely right at that that's fine I thought she was talking about the the potential for her daughter being raped no, I didn't pick up that it, she had already been raped I think it had happened in part because again. In the real life case, the victims ranged in age from three years old to 65. So I think this is meant to reflect. It's really, I think it's really hazy with her. So I, I, my, I, think, they, I think they've intentionally obscured it. That could I, be deliberate. But I okay. do think that that is what is happening. I think there are just enough hints that that is what is happening. Because that they keep coming back to the fact that the girl hurts. She comes in at one point and crying and says, I hurt. 
and all of the women kind of rally around her. Oh, and that's one one of the beautiful scenes in the in the movie. And we should put in, in a note in here that Tess has as getting over cold. She uh, yes, occasionally I, cough. Uh, yes, I, I'm going to try to edit it out, but I do. I am getting over a cold, and I might occasionally need to cough a bit. It's also um, really hot where I am. <laughs> Yeah, and so she can't turn the fans on because the, the microphones will pick Just it up. Just sitting here sweating um, and coughing and talking about rape. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. Although, let's let's not forget to get into the two moments in the film that where there is humor that mm. gives you a little bit of relief, and it's it's absolutely wonderful. But I'm curious um, if anyway, your two moments are the so, same as my two moments. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so let me get to my point. It's kind of a takeoff on on yours. This is these women aren't just raped, Salome, yeah. and I would assume it's Salome. I don't. They, they, I, I, I listened for it. I, I think normally it would be pronounced Salome or Salome, but they say Salome. Okay, so Salome can't get her husband to take their child to the clinic, and now we think it might be because she's she's been she has an STD yeah. that that she got from could be something else too. Raping a child who isn't isn't big enough to accommodate the rape could have done some tearing, and yeah. that could be it too. I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of reasons she could be in pain. Yeah. Uh, and need antibiotics if if she was indeed raped. Greta can't get new dentures. She is uh, and she is bleeding because these yeah. dentures also, are so ill fitting. I, I was a, a little bit unsure about some of the, some of what was going on, so I looked up the Wikipedia description of the book, and it clarified a couple of things for me. It's not just that she can't get better dentures; it is that her teeth were knocked out during one of the sexual assaults. And that is, uh, it seems like that is a bit more explicit in the book. And we should say here that Greta is probably in her 60s. So she mm-hmm. was raped too. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so these women live under torturous conditions. It's yes. not just just the rape. Yeah. It's almost like the rape is a, is a side point because yeah. they. It, it's just, it's horrific. So, I mean, May, Majel smokes and has panic attacks. Yeah. Um, one of the women. Mayal, but I'm not totally Is it Mayal? Sure. It could be. Yeah. Annette was raped and was impregnated, and she gave birth to a severely deformed child, so her suspicion was that her brother raped her, mm-hmm. uh, and at that point, she decides never to speak again and to become a man. So she is a trans man that they call Melvin. Yes, I, I so, think we should refer to him as Melvin. Right, but you have to give her backstory to get there. There's a lot to this story. Nettie had never felt like a woman, one of them said, and now pretending had become impossible. Yes. You know, in, in a culture like this, someone who is going you know is a trans personality is is never going to get what they need yeah. you know they're nobody's ever going to tell her she can be a man yeah. but but somehow being raped and and giving birth to a deformed child allowed her to to make that transition without yeah. the men saying a damned word because yeah. they know yeah it's it's just um anyway so she's melvin he he becomes melvin and but you know here's the other thing about her brother raping her i don't and i know that the in the original story it's a specific period in time but it also makes me wonder how much inbreeding there was in this community if they were that isolated yeah at some point this is that's got to be an issue but the the point of bringing this all up is that it has uh and there's a word there's a psychological description for this that i can't come up with but when you attack people who have the same kind of pain you have and you identify with your attackers so it's that there's mm. some of that going on here mary Kay, who was in the first time when i watched i thought they were saying mary Kay, but it's m-a-r-i-m-a-r-i-c-h-e it's mary Kay. um attacks mahal but she herself is so full of rage yeah. that she can't see that that she's in the same place. So she says, you know, Mahal smokes. Um, she has panic attacks, and yet Mary Kay, her husband, beats her and their children. Yeah. And then you see that to come to fruition at the end of the movie. Yeah. So yeah, she says she gets really mad at Mayal and says something along the lines of, "Why is this so much harder for you than it is for the yeah. rest of us?" Yeah, she's attacking her for having a real emotional response yeah. to her pain, for for expressing her pain, for yeah, trying which, to deal with her pain. Yeah, I, I found uh, Mary Kay and may, uh, maybe, oh, oh, before we move on from Salome, just in case we don't come back around, uh, Salome is the one who represents the argument to stay and fight. She is the mm-hmm. one who most agitates for essentially killing the men. She, she has a truly murderous rage, and I think uh, that is meant to be your last hint that it's because her four-year-old was raped. You know, and she, she says that she would rather 
kill these men and mm-hmm. go to hell and spend the eternity in hell than let her child be attacked again or be, mm-hmm. be hurt again. But yeah, um, but America was a really difficult character for me to understand at first because it felt like she was sort of, because uh, she's the one who gets the most mad at August when he tries to insert himself and yet she's also the one who is most vocally advocating for staying and doing nothing. And then eventually they reveal that she has been in this abusive marriage the whole time and that no one has done anything about it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really important. I think her anger at Mayal is partly because she feels like Mayal is finally experiencing something of what she has experienced this whole time and Mayal isn't able to deal with it. And no one, no one is pointing that out. For so much of this discussion, nobody mentions that Marike has been dealing with this abusive relationship this whole time. And then finally, it gets brought out into the light. And that, that did, I think, really... By the end of the movie, I thought Marike was the, the best character, honestly. Yeah, I did um, too. And it's funny because it's a real slow reveal. And yeah. we hate we hate her at first. She is mm-hmm. such a bitch. She's a bitch. She's, she's just aggressive. So yeah, she's really aggressive. She's, she's angry. She's aggressive. She's aggressively in favor of them not standing up for themselves, which is just yeah. confusing. Which also brings up the the question that I had at the beginning of the of the, our discussion is stay and do well stay and do nothing. What does that mean? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't include. Does it does that mean forgive them? Or I guess that's what that means. And then there's a stay and fight. And mm-hmm. what would that look like? They never mm-hmm. really say. Yeah. Th- other other than Salome, who says, you know, I would kill them. Yeah. <laughs> but is there no in between? Can you can you get justice for yourself? Yeah. This is kind of one of my bigger annoyances with the movie because in theory they're supposed to be debating between leaving or staying and fighting. But mm-hmm. most of the actual debate is between leaving or staying and forgiving. Forgiving, They, they yes. don't actually talk about staying and fighting very much. And maybe oh, what that would mean. Maybe that's supposed to be a commentary on how women are so conditioned to like not stand up for themselves. I don't well, know. Yeah. But it's frustrating because it feels like if staying and fighting is an option, then you have to talk about what that would look like. We, mm-hmm. it, it's, it is implied by the end that none of them have guns. So there are at least as many men as there are women. So when the men return, are you planning on fist fighting them all? Are you planning on waiting until they fall asleep and killing them in their sleep? Because I honestly think if, if, the, if what they decide to do is quote unquote stay and fight, the only option if you don't have guns is wait until the men go to sleep and then kill them in their sleep. And if you're this not ready is, this is to a question. do that, then, yeah. then, then it's not an option. Then the only option for, is and, leave. And for them, that does seem to be their only option. But, you know, yeah. as, a, as a modern woman, I was sitting here thinking, you do have other options. There's strength in numbers. You mm-hmm. know, all, all of the women, the, and, and by the way, these women is probably even halfway through the film are still saying, are still talking about respecting their elders who are all mm-hmm. men. And yet yeah. the women saying that are older women and they are the elders in this situation. Yeah. So, but, and they're saying you should respect the elders, but no, ladies, you are the elders here. Mm-hmm. You are elders too. So, but there's strength in numbers. They could band together. They could, they could tell that they could protest. They could tell they're, them we're yeah. not, we're not going to do these things. We're not going to raise the gardens. We're not going to, we're not going to make your meals. And, mm-hmm. and, and you have to listen to us. But they don't see that as a possibility. And I have to have to think that that's because these men are so far gone. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, you know, when you think about it, men who will go into town to, po- to post bail mm-hmm. for, exactly. for rapists who would rather do that than believe the women they live with, the, the mothers of their children, then those men probably are too far gone. So I think yeah. this is something that they, they come to a, realiza- a realization during the movie that there is no way these men are going to change. They are, yeah. Most of the men in this, in this community, in this colony, are not like August. He wasn't yeah. raised here. His, his parents, him, yeah. they were kicked out. He was raised somewhere else. He comes back. He is the odd man out with the men. He is. Yeah. If, if it was a community of men like him, they could they could force change. Yeah. But they realize at some point that it's not possible. The only change would be through violence. And none of them want to do that because 
and we're getting into the ending of the movie here, but they have um, Mennonites are pacifists, and yeah, they, they don't talk. Pacifist. They don't talk about their Mennonite uh, philosophy. They talk about their because they never say that word in the, in the book in the movie, but they just talk about their pacifist mm-hmm. and their love and their love of 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 God. Yeah, we we, we want to try to keep this discussion somewhat bounded, so I'm I'm going to make a couple of points about um, Mari Kay and kind of my my turning moment with her, which is basically when Ona well she she blows up at Ona and then Ona kind of blows up back at her and then not sure I think it's Ona's mother or maybe it's Mari Kay's mother tells Ona to apologize and. Ona initially apologizes for just what happened in the moment, but then she goes on to apologize for the fact that none of them have ever done anything about Marike's abuse. They've known the whole time that she is in an abusive relationship and they have just expected her to continuously forgive her abuser and stay with him and not complain. And when that was revealed, her character suddenly made perfect sense because to her, how is this any different from how life has always been? And she has always been expected to just go along with it because that's the only option. So for her, this is not really a change. And on top of that, I think a big thing that's happening there, because Ona apologizes to her for never doing anything, and you finally see some softening in Marike's face. And then Marike's mother comes over and apologizes and, and says that she should never have allowed this to continue, that she should have done something a long time ago and that she's been wrong for years. And that is kind of what changes Marike's outlook on the whole situation. And I think it's basically because in order to survive her abuse, she had to put up these walls and she she had put up these walls in such a way that she could no longer take them down herself. It She needed the other women to reach out and take down the walls for her and yeah. tell her that she has never deserved this abuse and that they should have done this a long time ago. She could not get there on her own because she was stuck in this place that had protected her this whole time. And I felt like to me, that was kind of the best moment of the movie in part because it felt like the most applicable. You know, a a lot of the time, abuse survivors do end up in this situation where they're defending their abuser or, you know, coming up with reasons to stay. And it's because that's how they've survived, that that's how they've had to survive. And sometimes when you are in that situation, you can't get out of it on your own. You need someone else to come in and help you because that's just, you know, I mean, that, that that's how abusers work. They isolate the people that mm-hmm. they're abusing uh, and they, they push them down into this hole until it seems like there's no way out. So I, I, and they I really use, liked... And they use, they use gaslighting and we haven't talked yes. about that very much, but it is essentially a big theme of this movie. They, yes. I mean, about the first third of it, they, they, they come back to this, how nobody believes them, the men don't believe them, they don't care, they're telling them they're crazy, or they're imagining it, or it's a ghost. Mm-hmm. So, and that's another thing that abusers do. Or it's Satan. Um, or it's Satan. Yeah, yeah, it's Satan. Yeah, we, we should also talk about the religious stuff at some point, because the movie is a lot about mm. their yeah, faith. Yeah. Um, but this moment also leads to really interesting line that I'm not sure how I feel about, because... Uh, Marike's mother, Greta, says uh, something along the lines of, you you did what you were told, you continuously forgave him, because that's what we expected of you. And then Agatha says, or I think it's Agatha, but it's spelled Agatha, Agatha, uh, says, perhaps forgiveness can in some instances be confused with permission. I'm a exactly. little torn on this line. No, <laughs> this thing is, it's never permission. It's yeah. never acceptance. It never should be. But yeah. that's what they have been practicing in this community. Exactly. For, you, forgiveness for them has always been permission. permission. They didn't see it. They couldn't see it until now, until their children are at risk, until their whole community is at risk. All of a sudden, this crisis kind of pushes them into an awareness that forgiveness is it maybe something they can practice because their mm-hmm. religion requires it, but it doesn't mean they have to let somebody hurt them. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean they have to accept that. Yeah, I, I think the distinction is you can forgive someone and not stay with them. Yeah. For, forgiveness doesn't mean that you continue to put up with it. And, and how they come to this, how they come to this realization is through their talking. Yeah. Up until th- this point, I think we are supposed to believe 
that these women don't really talk. They have been isolated amongst themselves and away from one another. You mm-hmm. know, they talk about the weather or they talk about, you know, diapers or whatever is their, you know, their day-to-day life, but they don't talk about these issues and getting together, women talking, one of the themes of the movie, I think, is so important for any, not just women, but anybody who's been oppressed. Yeah. There is strength in numbers. And when you get together and you talk about it and you realize what's really been happening, you know, you see that this woman has been abused. And even though you might have seen it, you might have known it because she comes to church with her her face all black and blue, you don't really acknowledge it. And yeah. it's not until they started to talk that this change, this transformation really happens to each and every one of them. And they suddenly realize we have to leave. Not flee, because they talk about the difference in fleeing and leaving, and yes. I'm not sure what the, what the point of that was, but yeah. they decided I mean, I to think leave. It's, I think it's because they don't want to feel like they are running in fear. They want to feel like they are making a proactive decision to distance themselves from the mm. community, uh, because mm-hmm. they don't want it to feel like the men have forced them out. They wanted to feel like they made the decision to leave. I think that's the main difference between fleeing and leaving. And this, so this is her, her real, her, um, her mother coming to her and enveloping her in a hug, mm-hmm. and letting her release the pain that she's been yeah. feeling at, at not feeling because it's 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 contradictory. Her brain is telling her this is wrong. This mm-hmm. man shouldn't be beating me up. This man mm-hmm. should not be beating up my children. But the community is telling her she's wrong. You know, mm-hmm. she needs to accept this. So you can and just see that him. she's, and forgive him. So she just sees in this moment when her mother envelops her in a hug and tells her she never, this was wrong of me. I never should have told you it was, it was he, that you needed to forgive him or give him permission. Yeah. Um, that's a turning point in the movie. And it's, yeah. it's a really important one because they all get it. Yeah. They all are now on the same page. So it's, yeah. it's a pretty amazing scene. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was kind of the best scene in the movie. It, it made a lot mm-hmm. of things clearer to me and... Uh, and to be honest, I feel like it's partly the best scene in the movie because I feel like by the end, Marie Kay is the most complicated and realistic character. Um, w- one of my complaints about the movie, and we can get into the full scope of it in a second, is that apart from Marie Kay, everyone is just so perfect. <laughs> well, um, I would also say that Salome has the same kind of experience because when her daughter comes in and says I hurt she gathers her daughter in to comfort her and the other women come around her and sense her fear mm-hmm. uh, for her child and gather around to comfort her so they are also uh, acknowledging what she's gone through so mm-hmm. it, it's a minor I think that happens first and but then the, the, that's like a minor version of what happens with Mary Kay and then it's just much more so yeah, yeah they, they're accepting each other's pain Okay, so before we get to the humor and the and the end of the uh, the movie, I had a couple of questions myself. How do the men of the colony have the power to determine the women's entry to heaven? Because they're the ones that are making the rules. But you know, it's I guess it's their religion, mm-hmm. and we can talk about the religious aspect when we get to to the end of the the movie. Uh, but that's one question I have. And you know, the other the the question I had about the whole forgiveness thing would that mean that the men did not have to go to jail? That was a, a, the question they never really take up um but if they forgive the men then those eight or nine men need to go to prison yeah (laughs) that 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 should be um yeah the movie seems uh, i mean the movie ends before we would get to that point Um, yeah it's it seems sort of uninterested in what would happen to the men afterward i mean i guess that they're in jail now the question is whether they would go to prison you know jail is like where you stay when you're awaiting trial Mm-hmm. And yeah, it 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 does seem like if uh, because it, they they brought them into jail, which means that they have brought this to. I think the movie is set in America. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, it might be it set is. in Canada. Um, the book yeah, is set in might Canada. Be. Yeah, but either way, they've they've brought this matter to a court of law that is not just going to dismiss it because the community forgave the men. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that it does kind of seem like even if they do forgive the men. They would probably still have to go through their trial and probably still go to prison. But I do think it's not really just about the men who committed the actual abuses. It's about the fact that all of the men, except for August, went to go get them out of prison and are now requiring that the women essentially never bring this up again. Yeah. Uh, And I do believe that they... You know, the, the women, and obviously the, the 
the men went to jail, uh, not just to protect them, but because they've been arrested. The Wikipedia page says that they have been arrested. These, these yes. men have been arrested because they do live in a land of laws, whether it's Canada or America. Uh, and the, the land that they inhabit is not like a, a Native American reservation where it has its own government. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're part of the, the, the national government and they have laws. So yeah. um, my, other, my other point about the movie that I thought was interesting was the, the importance of literacy. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't think you can, you know, you can give enough <laughs> uh, importance to this because people who cannot read or write are at the mercy of people who can. Yeah. And see, they do bring up at the very beginning of the movie that, yeah, we can't read or write, but we can vote. We know how to vote. And yeah, but uh, if <laughs> but if they can't read. How do they get the antibiotics they need? How do they know that they're giving, giving, how do they know that they're measuring correctly? You know, anything. It's just, it's a very limited experience or environment, a very limited life. And it's just, it's really. um, Yeah. I I didn't write this quote down, but that they kind of, um, that kind of feeds into the part of the movie where Ona asks August how he would feel if his entire life, it had never mattered what he thought. And, yeah. and that's kind of the thing. The literacy is is connected to thought. There, there's also a moment towards the end where Marike says um, that they're asking for three things. We want our children to be safe. We want to be steadfast in our faith. And we want to think. And and I think that the, the lack of literacy, it is intended to keep the women from thinking. Absolutely. It is, it is a way of telling them that their thoughts do not matter. And that has been true their entire lives. Their thoughts have not mattered in this community, which means your yeah. entire person doesn't matter because like we are our brains, you know, we are our thoughts and how we react to them. If we're not allowed to think, then we're not allowed to be people. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that the other point that I want to make before we get to the ending is that I love that while this, this, fascinating philosophical discussion is going on through and it's pretty much going on throughout the whole movie they take a break at one point um and they you know and they come back and feed each other they all bring stuff in um so that they can have a meal together and that that's pretty that's that there are parts of this that show the benefits of living in a community where yeah. you share where you share your life you share things at the end they're all putting their stuff in each other's wagons that that's a real important part of their life and, and it's yeah. beautiful um but while this discussion is going on the teenagers i want i just want to point out that in this in this in discussion this environment that they're in which is in a barn they do it in the barn um it's the three um i don't know if we covered this in the beginning but because they can't come come to a decision the women as a whole every woman in the community they choose these three families to -hmm. make the decision and it's so it's it's the it's the the elders the two women who are older it's the mothers who are you know the mother age of young children and then there are some young young girls so i would say like 12 12, 13, 14 years old, and they are an important part of the discussion. It's 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 all all of the generations of these families. These women respect their daughters. Yes, which is something, <laughs> you know, the men don't respect the women, but the women. I mean, it's it's a very different way of looking at the world. But um, while this discussion is going on, the teenagers several times bring them back to reality. Because they, you know, they, at first, they, you know, they go through stages. And the first stage, they decide to stay. And, you yeah. know, and, and, the, and the, the t- teenagers who, who caught the, the rape in, in, pro- in process said, but we caught them. We caught them. Are you not going to do anything about this? Why are you making it so complicated? And yet these two teenagers are fascinated. They, they seem like they're not. They, you know, they're playing with each other's hair and they're giggling. They're being teenagers. But they're listening. And they, they are fascinating and focused on discussion while they're still being teenagers, which I thought was a, a beautiful visual in the film. Um, so that's my last comment about that. There were a couple of quotes um, that I thought I'd bring up. It's doomsday and a call to prayer. And, and it is. That yes, is their yeah. life. It's doomsday and a call to prayer. Uh, and I think you mentioned this one. We've been treated like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. That's the stage where they're talking about fighting. Because there's a stage of decide to stay and forgive or stay and I don't know what they're going to do when they stay. But then they, they, they go into talking about fighting. Um, then they go into talk about fighting and so we respond like animals. And, but 
and I don't know if it's if it's who who brings this up at one point. There's a quote that we need to describe what we're trying to achieve, not just what we want to destroy. And I think this is a common problem in modern day political discussions. You know, mm-hmm. we we want to tear this down, but what do we really want to do go going forward? And the other thing that's always that really is so obvious to me in this movie is that it is inevitable in any any situation, any society, where men hold full unilateral authoritarian power that rape that women will be raped. That's just yeah. the way it is, and it's always been that way. And until until women you know, have full equity with men or, you know, equality with men, they are always going to be subject to rape Mm -hmm. of some, some sort, physical rape, emotional rape. It's just, it's just, that's just it. All right, listeners, like I said at the top, this week's a two-parter. And what an uplifting note to leave you on. Come back in two weeks to finally hear what Beth and Tess managed to find funny about this film, as well as our hot takes and final conclusions. I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at tessadare.com. And my co-host is Beth Von Baron. You can find her on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth. And on Facebook at Beth Von Baron Writer. You can support us both on Patreon at patreon.com slash where you lead. This has been Woman Inherits the Earth, our mother-daughter movie-watching podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then.